You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans. Thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Connor Halley. Make sure to give me a follow on Twitter, at Connor Halley. And we're going to get to what's going on with the Edmonton Oilers, as we usually do here on this podcast. Uh, if you're a fan of the show, you've tuned in before. Thank you. If it's the first time, I do appreciate it. Hopefully, you'll continue to tune in to the other Connor podcast here. But very quickly, just want to let you know about our sponsor, DraftKings. Of course, Daily Fantasy Sports Specialists. If you want to get in on that, I recommend you sign up today. Use promo code THPN. can help you out a lot of ways. We'll tell you more about that later on in the show, of course. The NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, you got golf, you got MMA, and before you know it, the NFL will be back. So there's lots of fun to be had with DraftKings. Sign up today, do so responsibly, and use promo code THPN when you do so. Let's get to the Edmonton Oilers because... Man, this has got to be the most excitement I've seen in oil country in a long time. Now, if you're of a certain age, you've never seen the Oilers and Flames meet in the playoffs. I was born in 87. The last time they played was 91, and I was very young at that point. So I don't really remember what happened when the Oilers took on the Calgary Flames. If you're younger than me, then there's no chance. And if you're a little older than me, there's a high likelihood that you haven't remembered it either. But... We're going to talk to somebody on the show today who does remember and has seen it all. Alan Mitchell, of course, he writes at The Athletic. He is the host of The Lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear Monday through Friday on TSN 1260, 10 a.m. until noon. Of course, he fills in every once in a while on the, on the JMO show as well. Uh, you can give him a follow on Twitter at Low Tide. He's seen it all. He's been a fan of this team since the WHA days. So we're going to talk to Alan Mitchell, get his thoughts on the Oilers' victory over the Kings, what's going to happen at the Battle of Alberta, who to watch out for, who are we going to hate, and some of his favorite memories from the Epic Series. Of course, we haven't spoken in a little while. I had a little bit of a COVID scare, and I was unable to tape the podcast for the last week, so happy to be back, happy that the Edmonton Oilers found a way to come back from that series trailing 3-2 to the LA Kings. Of course, going back to Thursday, they had the big 4-2 victory in L.A., Evander Kane throwing up the 7, and then on Saturday night, the Oilers with a very strong performance, a 2 nothing win to eliminate L.A. from the playoffs, and uh, Connor McDavid, absolutely fantastic in that one. Of course, he had the clinching goal, the second one, uh, individual effort where uh, Sean Dersey, I believe, kind of just gave up on the play. Connor McDavid made him pay. But McDavid was fantastic throughout that entire series. Of course, he leads the playoffs in scoring with 14 points. And, you know, he he's just really upped his game. Not only the offensive sign that we've known <laughs> about him, but also the physicality. I mean, he he's really upped his game on the biggest stage and I think it's be kind of a fair expe- expectation for this continue for this to continue against the Calgary Flames in the upcoming round. Uh, Leon Draisaitl, that's the big question mark, of course. You know, we we know something's wrong. He's not going to tell us. That's pretty obvious in the press conferences. He just says he's fine. He's good to go. Uh, some people think it might be the high ankle sprain. Of course, if you've seen the footage of the injury, it was a dirty, dirty play, and that might be a educated guess. If you had been listening to the Jason Greger show on Monday, uh, Jason Strudwick, former NHLer, talked about it. He had some ankle issues before in his past, and they, they talked about how, you know, it was just so painful to actually get your foot into the boot. And, of course, Leon Dreisaitl didn't practice on Tuesday. 
Highly doubtful he'll take the morning skate on Wednesday. Evander Kane and Ryan Nugent Hopkins also didn't practice on uh, Tuesday. I probably should have mentioned that earlier on, but if you're an Oilers fan, you've probably seen that on social media. But the point I was going here is with Leon Dreisaitl, and the injury, it's probably to the point where he's not going to be on his foot, ankle, leg as much as possible. And then before the game, maybe there's a painkiller involved. Maybe something goes on and he laces it up and gets out there. I thought, you know, on Saturday, period one, I thought it was noticeable, but maybe in the second and third, start to loosen up just a little bit. At this point in the playoffs, nobody's going to be healthy, but I think Leon Drysaddle is going to be battling through a little more pain than the others. And, uh, we'll see how that goes, uh, against the Calgary Flames. It's going to be a tough physical matchup. So, uh, we'll be watching for number 29 to see how he does. Uh, also for the Oilers, I thought Evander Kane was fantastic in that first round, uh, played very well. Cody Ceci was strong, uh, some ups and downs throughout the lineup. But overall, the Oilers, I mean, I picked them to win in six. So winning in seven, uh, pretty close to what we thought there would be. Mike Smith, solid. Uh, obviously, game one had the the costly play that, that kind of led to the loss, but bounced back strong. He was he did everything he needed to do for this team to be victorious. So we'll see if that will continue on. Obviously, uh, Jacob Markstrom on the flip side, goaltender for the Calgary Flames. He'll be tough to beat. He, he was very good in that series against the Dallas Stars, uh, kept them right in there along with the Stars goalie, Jake Ottinger. So it's going to be an interesting series. Really looking forward to it. Obviously, game number one is going to get going Wednesday night down in Calgary. It's an eight o'clock puck drop. That probably means closer to eight ten, eight fifteen. If you wanted to be entirely accurate. Uh, if you want pregame coverage, TSN 1260 will have you covered throughout the day, obviously, but starting at 6 o'clock, Tom Gazzola, former NHLer Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered. TSN 1260 starting at 6 o'clock. Of course, uh, every Oilers playoff game, you want some pregame coverage, uh, that's where you can tune into. Right now, though, let's uh, let's get right into it. Let's bring in a guy who works at TSN 1260. He's on air 10 a.m. till noon, Monday through Friday. You can read his writing at The Athletic. You can give him a follow on Twitter, at Low Tide. Alan Mitchell joins me now. Al, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm in a great mood. Uh, it's springtime, and the orders are in the playoffs in the second round. So if you're uh, an Edmontonian, everybody is uh, happy and marching with a spring step, and that's good news. And it's absolutely awesome. I mean, when, when it's shorts weather and Oilers hockey is still going, that's always going to be a good sign. It's so nice to see the car flags out and about and, you know, the jerseys and hats on the streets. Edmonton right now definitely has Oilers fever. And, uh, Al, obviously we're going to talk about the Battle of Alberta. It's been a long time since hockey fans in our province have got a chance to see that at the NHL level. Uh, unfortunately for people in my age bracket, we were very young when it happened, so we don't really remember too much of the 1991. But uh, before we get to that and, and you share some of your, your memories and maybe your heartbreak of the BOA, we got to go back to the first round series against the Los Angeles Kings. And I mean, I don't think too many people had the Oilers winning in four, but the series going to seven caused a little bit of stress on a lot of us. I picked the Oilers in six. I was wrong. I can admit it. Uh, but the Oilers, you know, got the job done. Uh, let's just go to the final two games of that series, the big win down in LA and then getting the job done against the Kings on Saturday. Night. I mean, it, it all lined up. They played fantastic hockey. Connor McDavid showed why he's the best player in the NHL today. What were your thoughts on the final two games? I felt like the 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 game five was a turning point. I think because the, the Oilers could have won that and should have won it. And and 
I had them in six as well. So if you're going to win in six, you got to win in five and six if you're tied at two-two. And they didn't get it done. And it was a it was a frustrating game, I'm sure, for the Oilers and for Oilers fans as well. And the the team, you know, I I, I said at the time, and I'm still not convinced uh, otherwise. Seemed to me like they were ill, or some of them were ill. They just were not playing they the way they uh, you know. Had, had played under Jay Woodcroft for several months. And so game six, I was a little tentative about it. I thought, man, you know, this has happened before. Jay Woodcroft might not be able to get their, you know, their act together in time. And two things happened. Number one, the Otis, as a group, played much better. And then Connor McDavid set his jaw and he put the team on his back. And in game six and in game seven, he was just, you know, beyond what we expect of him. And we expect a lot from him. He just was the best player on planet Earth for those two games. And and one of the two great performances I've ever seen. Game seven, with all of the tension that had been built up and the way he played, uh, you know, it's one thing to be a great player. It's another thing to do it, you know, on demand. And that's what he did. And I, I think that... For, for those of us who are old-timers, that was one that we'll remember, and we'll put that right right up where the really good memories are because he was that good on Saturday night. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the best player in the world, and, and he raised his game, not only offensively, but, you know, the physicality, I thought, throwing the body around a little bit. He's been outstanding uh, so far in the playoffs, and... Uh, if if we've seen anything from him and, and what we know about him, he seems to raise his game when the stage gets a little bigger, and it's it's not going to get much bigger than this Battle of Alberta. It's something we've wanted for so long. We didn't know if it was going to happen. It hasn't happened since 1991, and uh, Al, I guess l- let's just jump right into that one. Uh, the past is in the past. Let's go forward. You've seen the Battle of Alberta before. You've had some great moments. There's been some tough ones, uh, but when you think of this series, what stands out to you? Well, this the 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 80s flames were always chasing the 80s oilers and they they caught them they caught them in 86 and they they won the stanley cup in 1989 and it was a build that that you know uh, began with bob johnson went through terry crisp cliff fletcher fletcher was the architect the general manager but every year and every game was sort of focused on beating edmonton and and they weren't the only ones winnipeg tried vancouver tried but they, they they sort of climbed a mountain, and this version of Oilers Flames is different. I think Calgary got there quicker, earlier. They're more established. They have a, a you know I, I think a more veteran group. They've made trades to address areas of need, and so I think it's Edmonton who's not necessarily trying to catch up, but their their core group, their their center cluster. Is is younger than say Goudreau and Markstrom and and that group. I guess Noah Hannafin would be a player uh, in the McDavid age range. But I, I think the Oilers window is open now and open for a little longer. I think I think Calgary's right at their peak now, so it's a little different. I'm not saying they're chasing Calgary like the the '80s Flames did to the Oilers, but there's there's a little bit of a gap there in terms of expectation. Just on the Calgary Flames, uh, we saw them go to seven games against the Dallas Stars. A great, great goal and shot by uh, Johnny Goudreau in overtime to help them advance on to take on the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, were you surprised at all that that series went to seven games and that the Dallas Stars were able to have the success that they did have against Calgary? One thing I've learned over many years about about hockey is that in the playoffs you should just revert to calling it goaltending, <laughs> and 
there have been many times, many, many series that really good teams have lost. I remember Yaroslav Halak, who played for Montreal and beat Washington maybe 2011. I can't remember the exact year, but it was early uh, in in the last decade. And, and that was a, a, a big-time turning point for that organization. And I think if Calgary had lost, maybe they would have, uh, you know, done some different things in the summertime, but they won, and Johnny Gaudreau scored, and now they're moving on. And, you know, I mean, I mean, I think Calgary is good enough to win the Stanley Cup. I don't know that they will, but I think they're good enough, and they've got a coach who has won one before. Uh, so they're locked and loaded, but they got a hell of a scare. Sometimes that can be beneficial as you roll along, because you need 16 wins, and they only have four so far. Uh, you talked about playoffs and goaltending, and you know Mike Smith. He he had kind of the whoops in Game One, and since then I thought I thought he was pretty good. Uh, hard for me to fault him. And you know these last two years, minus a streak here and there, he's he's been pretty solid for the Oilers. I know it was brought up today to head coach Jay Woodcroft. He was asked about uh, you know does does he think that Mike Smith you know could have a fatigue factor and if so you know what's going to happen there does that concern you at all when it comes to mike smith or do you think just being such a gamer he's going to be good to go in the playoffs well i think you play him and you watch for signs right there you know the, the, every every player has signs of fatigue and, and he usually gets deeper in his net uh and he's he's a little more rambunctious and out of position when he's tired he's more you know he's more playing by feel as opposed to how he's playing now but i have honestly i haven't seen you know yeah the i think game one was was an issue game five there was you know some some I guess wobble that you'd prefer not to see, but goaltending is a very difficult position. So I I think you play him and you watch, but but you know you the reason you're here is the way Smith has played, and he had a lot of time off earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's getting a little bit of a break now that probably helps him before uh, round two starts. So I I think he's good to go, and he's not hurt. He's healthy now. That's the biggest factor. Al. Uh... Could you see any situation like, I mean, it would be so weird, and I'm trying to rack my brain here. I don't have the extensive knowledge that you do, but has there ever really been a two-goalie system that's worked successfully in the NHL, like playoffs? Because it seems like you find your guy, you go with them. I, I can't really think of a team that's gone on an extended run and then, you know, midway through the third series just been like, oh, we're going to give our goalie a rest and go with a backup. Like, it, it doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, it's, you know, the the last goalie to play every game on an NHL schedule, I think it was Eddie Johnston in about 1960 for Boston. And then after that, they started sharing the net. And, and a decade later, uh, Jackman and Vilmere in New York, I know the Bruins won about 70 and 72 with two goalies. They played a lot in Cheevers and Johnston. But it's it's really rare. Uh, the Oilers... You know, they had Andy Moog, and they drafted Grant Fuhrer, and they were, I mean, they were pretty close in terms of quality. And Sather, Glenn Sather, always, when he was coach, he'd always run with Fuhrer. He'd probably share the net with the two during the regular year, but if Fuhrer was healthy, he'd be the starting goalie. And honestly, I think most most coaches are like that, where you've got a guy who's playing and confident and wants the net, you go with him because, you know, goalie is still, it's, it's, it's like whatever is under the sea. It's one of the great mysteries of life. Who knows why goalies play well or don't play well? So I think you just run with the guy who isn't making you mad. 
<laughs> I think that's a, a good way to do it. And uh, I know a Dean Millard, friend of friend of yours, friend of mine, friend of the podcast. He would always get frustrated because he was an Andy Moe guy, and it would always go to Grant Fear who would get the glory. So uh, uh, I know I know Dino out there. If he's listening, he's he's frustrated by that conversation. Like, Should have gave Moe an opportunity. Uh, I want to ask you about Cody Cece for the Oilers, and I, I go back to a podcast that I did right at the start of the season, and I went and spoke with all uh, beat reporters from opposing markets and, and trying to get their thoughts on the Oilers for agent acquisitions and, you know, Duncan Keith and uh, Cody Cece and he, he, I believe it was Seth Rohrabaugh covers the Pittsburgh Penguins and he he kind of switched what I thought about Cody Cece. Like I thought, oh, this might be an overpay and the term might be might not be great, but, you know, he kind of calmed me down and said, you know, he was pretty good for the Penguins last year and since coming to Edmonton, that's kind of all I've seen. He's got six points Fourth on the team, uh, more points in the playoffs than uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Zach Hyman, Yamamoto, play Arvey Cassian, etc. Like he's he's playing very well in my opinion. What have you seen from him, not only in the playoffs but this season? Well, I think two things. Number one, you never know about a player until he gets to the team you watch all the time, and then you mm-hmm. you kind of you know figure it out from there. That that individual has has you know areas of his game that you maybe didn't think about or range that you didn't know he had. Um, but CC, I uh, I looked at his numbers. I looked at Pittsburgh and I looked at Toronto and I looked at his whole career, and I I had him pegged as a, like a four or five, like maybe second pair, but probably third pairs where he'd end up playing well. It was based on math, but also watching him in Ottawa. And I think I think CC is a classic example of a player who got to the NHL and had too much responsibility early, and it set him back. His development was not uh, as, as smooth as it maybe should have been, because they played the hell out of him in Ottawa. And the, the orders about I don't know, 20 years ago or so, they traded for a guy named Jason Smith. Different style of player, but he was the same kind of way. He'd been drafted by New Jersey, then he'd gone to Toronto, and he got here, and he ended up being captain and a great player on this team for a long time. And, and as I said, CeCe's a different kind of a player. He's more of a two-way type. He's not as physical as Jason Smith was. But the the trade is similar, or at least the signing with CeCe, in that I think they got a better player than than anybody thought. And, I, you know, if he had this season now and was a free agent, he'd be making more than whatever it is, 3.2 or whatever, 3.25. He'd be making more next season because he's played, he's really played well, and he's settled down the top pairing. And when he was on the third pairing, he was, you know, excelling. So he's been, Ken Holland made some moves last summer that a lot of us questioned. CeCe, well, I would put right at the top of the moves, uh, along with Hyman and, and the midseason move for Evander Kane, that worked out really well, and and you know Holland was right about. So Cody Cece has been a really good player for the Oilers. Yeah, I was going to say put that in the win column for for Ken Holland because it's worked out extremely well so far in year one. Uh, Zach Hyman, another guy you got to be happy about. Uh, Duncan Keith play style, I, I think pretty good. Obviously, the salary something you wish you didn't have to deal with, but. Uh, let's just worry about on the ice. Now, I want to, I want to bring this one up to you, Al, because I think you do a really good job of looking at the analytics, but also, you know, looking at the eye test and with what you see. And I saw a little bit of a debate with Josh Archibald, uh, and, and what he's brought to the lineup. And, and I'll say definitely there's parts of his game that he can clean up and, uh, you know, giving up chances. That's something that I, I feel like is kind of always going to be there with him. But, but I do like what he brings 
on the emotional level. And I mean, he he's never given up on plays. He's always going to try to throw his weight around as long as he doesn't take a stupid penalty. You know, for me, there's always room in the lineup for a guy like that. And you got to try to use him in smart situations. But what what have you thought about Josh Archibald in the first round of the playoffs? And, and how important can a guy like that be going into a series against the Flames? Well, Archibald kills penalties, and that is a big deal. The Oilers have some, some young... Uh, players, uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, for instance, does not kill penalties. And so they, they need that guy. They need a guy to be able to do that. Uh, his, his, uh, his numbers, his, his uh, analytics, as it were, his Corsi numbers and those sorts of things are not strong. They're, they're in the low 40s. Uh, the goal differential is, is very good, but he's, I mean, he hasn't played that much. What, what I will say about Archibald is I think he is playing a style that, that, uh, Woodcroft and Manson want from that line. It's there's an energy to it. Uh, they're they're going to ask them to take on more minutes, probably because uh, uh, Leon Drysaddle is going to play center, so that line is going to have to play more uh, and in, in in more difficult situations. And you know, I, I'm, I see it as he's replacing Warren Fogle, and, and maybe Fogle can get back in the game. But in order for him to do that, I think he's going to have to do what Archibald does, which is aggressive on. The the forecheck. People keep talking about, you know, Arch- well, Archibald does a lot of hits. That doesn't do any good. But what he's doing is he's forechecking. And mm-hmm. uh, Pugliarvi in the, in the series and Fogel in the last series against L.A., they, they either weren't able to. I, I, I think Pugliarvi's skating better now, but in the middle of that series, either he had an illness or he just wasn't right. And Fogel a little bit, too. If they can forecheck well, then I think they've got a chance to, to get their jobs back or maybe play more in the case of Pugliarvi. But Archibald is is energy. He's on the forecheck, and he's suppressing offense. And sometimes when you look at you know the shot share when a player is on the ice, you have to remember that in the case of of uh, Archibald, he's only been the ice, on the ice at five on five during the playoffs for about one hour. Right? That's not a lot of time, really. It's a very small sample size. So his shot differential is twenty eight to thirty five. And that doesn't look great. It's a 44% shot differential. But it's also a really small sample size, as is his goal differential, which is 2-0. The the Oilers have scored two goals while he's on the ice and none against. I don't know what metrics the Oilers are looking at. I'm absolutely certain they'd know about shot differential and they'd know about goal differential. And there's luck involved there. You have to play more to weed it out. But, I mean, I, here's what I'll say. I, I think that Jay Woodcroft is a really smart coach, and I think he wanted an aggressive player in that spot, and I think if Fogel becomes that player, he'll get another chance. Right now, Archibald has the job. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on in DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NHL has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner 
of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537 in Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, or Wyoming. 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado or New Hampshire. You can visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, in Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Louisiana, 1-877-770-STOP, 8778-HOPE-NY in New York, in Oregon, you can visit opgr.org, in Tennessee, call the red line, 1-800-889-9789, and in Virginia, 1-888-532-3500. 21 plus, 18 plus in Wyoming, must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Louisiana, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Now, you touched on uh, Yesopoli-Arvi there as well. Um Obviously not taken out of the lineup. He's played in all seven games so far, but only three of those games was he playing over 10 minutes. Uh, the last three games, his ice time, 733, 5.30, 6.50. Uh, we know what he can do. Uh, we know where there are the deficiencies in his game. If you're Jay Woodcroft, what's the message to to JP going into this series, and, and what do you think the best spot for him is in the lineup? Well, I think his numbers are, are really good. Like, we just talked about Archibald. Pugliarvi's numbers are really good there. The shot share, the goal share, everything about Pugliarvi's uh, numbers are good. And what he isn't, what he wasn't able to do, and I think in Game Seven we saw a, a, a cleaner version of Pugliarvi. He just seemed to be skating around better, and, and that's what you hope for. But but in order for him to be uh, successful, no matter what line he plays on, what he really has to do is he has to forecheck really hard, and he has to turn over pucks in the defensive zone. His responsibility isn't isn't high uh, for the most part, but in the neutral zone and and when they're forechecking, he's got that long reach and great speed, and he can disrupt, and he turns over pucks. He didn't do that as much in the L.A. series. I don't think he was 100%, but but even with that, his shot share uh, and and what he was doing was, was with the exception, I think, of game one, where, where there's a couple goals scored while he was on the ice, but he's having a positive effect uh, on on the outcome. I just don't think he looks good doing it because of his illness or, or hip issues or whatever he had. He looked much better in Game 7. If he can forecheck, if you see him tomorrow night forechecking hard uh, and the the Flames icing the puck or sending errant passes that are picked off, or even better, if he's turning over pucks for Connor McDavid in the neutral zone, then you'll know he's doing his job. i got to ask you about uh, Kyler Yamamoto as well. Obviously, undersized. I I don't want to say he's small. I'm going to say he's short. Because uh, you know what? He he could be a little thicker, you know? He's just shorter than than some of the other guys on the ice. And I know, you, you know, those guys seem to always get the knock in the playoffs, like, oh, it's too rough and tumble, can't play that way. I mean, I think he's proven those people wrong. Uh, going into this series against the Calgary Flames, a guy who has shown offensive touch in the past as well, just how important do you think number 56 can be for this team in the Battle of Alberta? Well, he's... Encouraging thing for Yamamoto is the the game six and seven. He was he was on for all good things, like he really was. They the Oilers were getting great 
shot metrics. Uh, he was helping suppress. There were, there, again, as the same was with Pogliarvi, there were some games in the middle there, uh, games three and four, I think it was, uh, where, where they, they fell off. And then game five was, was good, but he wasn't, his line wasn't getting a lot done. The thing about Pogliarvi is he's almost like the opposite of, I'm sorry, Yamamoto. He's almost the opposite of Pogliarvi in that Pogliarvi is big and, and forces you to make a mistake with his size and his reach. Yamamoto is the opposite. He, he gets underneath, uh, somebody said inside, I love that word. He gets inside and, and he'll take the puck away and he'll scamper away before he can do anything about it or send the puck to a good place. He, he's like, he's stealth. And, and because he's so different to Pogliarvi, I think it gives the Oilers, in a lot of ways, the best of both worlds. Both of the right-wingers on the top lines, Pogliarvi and Yamamoto, are they're complementary offensive players. They're not driving that line. But what they can do is they can suppress offense and they can help turn over pucks, and that would help uh, McDavid and Kane on the top line and usually Leon and Hyman on the second line. That will help them drive offense. So when they're both going right, they're not necessarily picking up points, but they are making turnovers and, and making uh, defensemen angry in totally different ways, which is weird. But, you know, if you could get Yamamoto's aggression uh, and, and uh, uh, willingness to be physical into Pogliarvi's body, he'd have a beast. Now, on the flip side, i got to ask about the Calgary Flames. Uh, we talked about the, the series against the Stars and the struggles that, you know, they had in some games offensively, obviously couldn't generate too much offense. Uh, Johnny Goudreau, no surprise, uh, leading their team in points. He had two goals, six assists. Uh, Kachuk and Lindholm, the top line, you know, did a little bit of damage here and there. But, you know, when when you look at this roster and guys that can hurt you, I mean, is there anyone that you think can have a bounce back series, and the Oilers do have to be wary of maybe an Andrew Mangiapane, guys like that? Well, the the, the, the Flames right now are Mangiapane is like he's basically like Sammy was in '06, mm-hmm. where he's a really good player, but he's playing out of his mind right now. And and the top two lines for the Flames are just really strong. You're, the Oilers are going to give up goals to those lines. They just are. There's nothing they can do about it. Uh, the Lindholm and the Backland line are going to score goals. They're just going to have to outscore them. What's what's interesting to me is the third and the fourth lines, uh, the way they're set up by Sutter, is they're, they're, they can be effective, but he doesn't always play the personnel to make them effective. And it's the same on the defensive side. They've got a couple of big guys they like, but those guys can be exposed a little bit. And we'll see because because they had some injuries. Uh, Tanev injury could be huge for Calgary. I understand he skated today, but that doesn't mean he's going to play, and it doesn't mean he's going to play as well as he can. But I, I think for, for Calgary, for, the, for Edmonton, when you're looking at Calgary, Mangiapane and Gaudreau are going to drive them nuts. And I don't know... It's like McDavid and Drysaddle when he's healthy, right? You're just going to have to allocate a goal and a half a game or something to those two lines doing some damage who do you think is someone on the flames roster by game one two three fans are going to be absolutely hating maybe in the same way that flames fans might hate an archibald or an evander kane i think the guy we'll be talking about most is markstrom Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really good, and he's having a great year, and he just came off a great playoff. Nobody talked about him because of Ottinger. I think there'll be a lot of, you know, fish shaking at Markstrom because he's, uh, you know, uh, he would be 
for me anyway, he's the guy that could ultimately make the difference in the series. As far as skaters are concerned, uh, uh, their physical team, but they're a physical team in strange places like the fourth line as Richie and Lucic. That's a really physical thing. Uh, um, the, the, the obvious player is Kachuk, but he didn't have a great series against Dallas. He scored in the last game, but I, I think he's a guy who would be obvious, but coming into this series, he doesn't look like confident and, and full of his usual uh, uh, spirit. So we'll see how it goes. The obvious guy to hate is Kachuk. I don't know if he's there right now. Cannot wait for this one, Al. Uh, so Earlier on today uh, with Jason Greger, uh, I, I was trying to book some guys who were involved in the Battle of Alberta back in 1991, and we had Charlie Huddy lined up, but unfortunately that kind of fell through. Uh, we did get Craig Muni on today, and Struddy asked him and kind of like forced the question, when it comes to the Flames, who did you hate to play against the most? And he said, almost with no hesitation, Theo Fleury. Uh, I think a, a lot of Oilers fans would probably agree. He he made to, made sure to bring up the celebration across the Oilers logo. I think he was a game six. Uh, when you look back, Battle of Alberta, who's the most hated flame for you? Well, yeah. <laughs> How long do you have? I, hey, as long as you got. Uh, uh, you know, I, I didn't ever hate like Ken Nelson, who ended up playing for the Oilers later because he was high skill. Um, but, but, you know, Jim Poplinski was just like, I, I just, I, I can still see his face and, and just be hating him, you know? And you're like, you know, that was like 40 years ago, get over it. But he just had a, a like a kind of a smirk on his face and look, the Oilers were filthy too, but that, that team, that team had some all timers. They really did. It was it was a muddy, horrible 10-year battle that, you know, I'm sure there are guys walking around right now who played in that thing who aren't walking the way they should because of it. And and But Paplinski for me was, and he was a very good player. Like, don't get me wrong, he wasn't a thug or, or one-dimensional guy to go out there and do stuff. Paplinski could play, but he's the guy I remember, and it's probably because he was a really good player. <laughs> How about favorite moment? It doesn't have to be playoffs. Uh, we kind of talked about it on the Gregor show and uh, Craig McTavish ripping the tongue out of uh, Harvey came up. Obviously, the the Mike Smith Cam Talbot fight was awesome. But what's your favorite moment from the Battle of Alberta? Uh, it, it would have to be um, the, the Gretzky shot over the shoulder is is just iconic. I I remember it. I rem- and and I've seen it a million times afterwards. And the puck it 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 doesn't dip. It just flutters. And I think that's how, because the shot's impossible. I'm, I, you can go watch it, Connor. The, I am. It cannot go in the net. It cannot go in the net from where he shot it and where Vernon was standing. And damned if it didn't. And so I, I think there was like, an, you know how they talk about, you know, the hand of God goal? I, I, <laughs> I don't know why that puck fluttered, but it did. And it, it got a, a, a special torque and an arc, and it went in the net. And, and I would say... Uh, 
the, the other one is the Tikkun, and they never play it. They always play the flurry skating across the ice, happy as a, a clam in Game 6. Well, Game 7, Essa Tikkunen scored in Game 7 overtime, and they won in 91. So it would be the Gretzky-Vernon goal and then the Essa the in 91 overtime goal. And that game, boy, if you ever love Essa and watch that game. He was a warrior in that game. <laughs> okay, so I just brought up the uh, the Gretzky goal in overtime. That's the one I believe in '88. Yep. Is that all you're thinking of? Yeah. Yep. Man, I I just think back, and we did the podcast, uh, and you were nice enough to join me on it, talking about the Oilers dynasty, uh, winning all those Stanley Cups, and I mean, any time they had to be scary. But I just think the overtime when you know you, oh, you kill off a big shift against Messier, and what's your reward? Oh, here comes Gretzky with Curry. Like It just had to be such an intimidating thing to have that roster uh, on the schedule, just knowing what you were going to get. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, Al. Do you do predictions? Do you have a prediction for this this series you'd like to throw out? Yeah, I, I picked the uh, the orders in seven, and I know that sounds like a homer pick, but I do have my reasons. I think the, the goaltending is close enough. I think the orders are finding out about guys like Evan Bouchard uh, and Ryan McLeod, and they're going to help them uh, during this series. And, and you know, you're, you're going to be a rookie in the NHL, and the playoffs are still a step up, but I've liked their game, especially in game seven for Evan Bouchard. I thought he had a whale of a game. So I think that's that's where I sit with seven uh, game, and, and the biggest factors are going to be Woodcroft uh, and his ability to MacGyver solutions and Connor McDavid, who's on another level, and I don't even know what to call it, but he is. Seven games, Al. So much booze will be consumed. So many gray hairs will be formed. Oh. Are you going to save some for everybody else, Connor? Just gonna... <laughs> That's just me. That is just me. I'm going to be looking like Mac T after the series. It's going to be crazy. <laughs> Al, uh, thanks again for doing this. Uh, I, I hope they find a way to get it done, and we can uh, get you on again later on in the playoffs here. Always appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Connor. There you go. That is Alan Mitchell. He is the host of The Lowdown with Low Tide, which you can hear on TSN 1260, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. until noon. Give him a follow on Twitter at Low Tide and check out his writing at The Athletic. We always appreciate Al hopping on, talking all things Oilers, and uh, had to get him on, talk about his memories from the Battle of Alberta. Because like I said to start off the show, when it comes to the NHL playoff version of the Battle of Alberta, I'm new to it. Uh, it happened when I was four. Didn't really get a chance to tune in. Uh, anyone who's younger than me or in my age range obviously has no real memories of this happening. So I think I can speak for all of us and say we're all really excited about that. And that's going to do it for this episode of the show. Like I told you earlier on, if you want to hear some pregame coverage on Wednesday, tune into TSN 1260 throughout the day. But more specifically, 6 to 8, Tom Gazzola, Matt Cassian, and myself will have you covered. Puck drop in game number one just after 8 o'clock Wednesday night down in Calgary. Game three will go in Edmonton. I don't know why I skipped game two, but game two also in Calgary. That's an 8.30 puck drop. Don't love the reasoning for it. Don't don't really like that really late start, but I'm going to watch it. I mean, I'll have a coffee. I'll be good to go. I'm sure all of you guys will as well. Uh, as I was saying, game number three for the Oilers and the Flames. That'll go on Sunday in Edmonton, that's going to be a 6 o'clock puck drop on Sunday. Game 4 goes Tuesday. 
That one starts at 7.30, and then Game 5, 6, and 7. No time decided upon quite yet, but that would be on Thursday, Saturday, and then Monday if necessary. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. I cannot wait for it. We'll be back with a new episode of the show probably on Thursday night. Then you'll have a little more time to tune in all of Friday before puck drop. It's going to be awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I hope all of you are as well. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you again for tuning in to another edition of the Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Big thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings. Make sure to give me a follow on Twitter at Connor Halley, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.